Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's Heartland, here's your host. Happy holidays, guys. Rod here to Better Way to Farm, where we increase yields and improve profits. That's our goal every day, to empower growers with more knowledge and to teach them how to ask why. Had some interesting conversations. Couldn't wear a Christmas shirt, but I wore a winter shirt. So we went with that uh, just to wrap this up. Got to have a little fun. Guys, I do want to do a wrap-up, and I appreciate all of you who've tuned in. We've had a tremendous response. A lot of people have reached out. Hopefully, we've made a difference. And on this journey that we've taken together, we've figured some things out, some ways to maybe ask some better questions, some things to do to do a better job. I know I've had a really good chance to talk to my friend Justin, who lives up on Interstate 80 there in central Iowa, and and he's making the change, and he's going to reallocate dollars from a lot of P&K to the P&K that his tests call for, plus the micronutrients that he needs and the micronutrients he knows are his limiting factor. Guys, I see people out here who have boron levels that are scarily low, manganese levels that are frightening low, and those are our limiting factors. And as we've looked at all of the nutrients, it's not one nutrient. There's no single cure. You can say, well, just make sure you get your calcium right. Yes, you need to do that. I'm all for getting your calcium right. But that in and of itself, is going to make a lot of things better? Absolutely. It's about doing everything correctly, nailing it down, doing the way that it should be. And I just want to, I'm going to wrap this up. I've got some things I want to share out of the books. I've got some things that I want to talk about, some things that have come to me actually since Christmas Eve. Had a couple of people, well, one person reach out. It was one of our team members. Hey, and by the way, please know we are actively seeking two or three new district managers. We need some help and we're looking for people who would like to earn that position of district manager. We will help you achieve that. We give tremendous training. As a matter of fact, if you're interested, we're going to be doing a webinar as we reach out looking for some district managers. I think that's January the 10th. So if you'll post the word webinar here on this, Karen will get you the link so that you can take a look at what we do in that webinar that we do on the 10th. But anyhow, one of our district managers that we have currently, a great gal called, and she was working with someone, and they were getting ready to buy a product that suppresses ethylene. Now, ethylene is a plant hormone. It's also a gas. It's actually poisonous to humans, but it's a plant hormone they have discovered, and it, it's necessary. It's like everything else in the right amount. When we have the right amount of ethylene, it will help the crops to ripen when they should, as they should. There are certain crops, fruits, and vegetables and stuff that they worry about not having enough ethylene, trying to figure out how to make that plant produce more. And then in corn, sometimes this particular guy she was working with, he was looking for a product to suppress the ethylene levels. He was just going to, and I'm sure somebody out there somewhere has got a product that's 20 bucks an acre that will come in and it's going to hold your ethylene levels down. But guys, there are so many things that we're doing in agriculture that are a lot like we do in conventional medicine. Now, make no mistake, I, you know, I have a doctor. I have a really good doctor. She is awesome, and we love her very much. And I have a, another doctor out in Lake in Nebraska, and I think the world of him. But sometimes in modern medicine, we don't fix the problem. We give you something that will mask the symptoms. 
If we fix the symptoms, then we don't have the problem anymore, right? No, that's not correct. When we mask the symptoms, it's like we talked about earlier. You can have a pickup that's really rusted out, and you can stick a little Bondo in it and paint over it. You still got a rusted out pickup, and it ain't going to be very long before you're either masking over those problems again or you're putting in a new fender. And guys, painting over rust never works. And we have done that in agriculture for so long. We paint over the rust by over-applying NP and K in an attempt to try and mask the problem that's created by something else. I've got a really interesting study here I'm super excited about out of uh, the Albrecht papers. I've saved it on purpose till the end. It's really got a wow factor for me. But this individual was just wanting to say, do you have a product that'll suppress ethylene? I got a, I think I have a better idea. What if instead of trying to suppress the ethylene falsely, masking the problem, why don't we do everything else correctly? Why don't we give that plant the exact nutrition that it needs? Maybe we push it with foliar feeding. We do whatever it is we can to make that plant as healthy as can be. We want that plant not to die prematurely. We want that plant not to stop growing and packing grain into that corn, into those kernels of corn, because that's where we get the test weight. That's where we get the size. It's where we get the bushels. It's where we make the money. And so as we do this, we have got to make sure that we're doing the right thing, that we're not just out here trying to put a Band-Aid on something that needs 21 stitches because we got to give it the stitches to really make it work right. And so if you're someone who's thinking, well, what do I do about ethylene suppression? Maybe what you do is you take a look at all of the micronutrients that are important. And then we start talking about all of the different things that those micronutrients are going to do. Not only is zinc important for the corn, but what are the other things that zinc does? Not only is boron important for the corn, but we know that boron feeds mycorrhiza. And there are a whole bunch of people out here right now selling mycorrhiza fungi for you to buy, purchase, to put in the furrow. And it'll probably work, but you're masking a problem. Why don't we go after the problem and say, hey, what do we do that's got our mycorrhiza numbers suppressed to the point that we're going to get a response if we apply some more? Maybe we just put on the boron and we get a yield increase because the plant needs a lot of boron. And we get the mycorrhiza flourishing because we're doing the right thing. And guys, we don't have any idea. I am more convinced today than I have ever been in my life that we're going to find out how important the micronutrients are to the microbial life in the soil. And the more we fix that, the more we get it better. And I've got a study that was done in 1946, guys. This is not new. It's stuff that we have known, but we have chosen to ignore. And it's time to ignore it no longer. I'm kind of jazzed up today. I'm super excited. We had a great year. To all of you who work with us, God bless you. We appreciate you. It's been a lot of fun. Greg, I see you're on. It's been an honor to get to know you. We just love the people that we're getting a chance to work with. We have tremendous number of people. So before I give the wrap up from my perspective here, let me share a few things out of a couple of the books, going back into life and energy, just a couple of things that, that really spoke hard to me. I want to retouch on this. Because when we're doing anything that creates chlorine, we're hurting ourselves because chlorine gas is toxic to biological life, including people. It is a gas that is heavier than air. Therefore, it sets on the surface of the ground. So when we get a big rain and we've got the conditions right and we've done things that create chlorine gas, it just rises up a little bit and stifles the corn. And all of a sudden, we've got a big concentration that can be in there due to humidity or rainfall. And it is going to make a difference in how our corn crop yields. And so we want to be aware of those things and not doing them. I just took some notes as I was going through and things I wanted to come back on. And on the bottom of page 39, 
it talks about the fact, and I want to thump on this one more time, almost as detrimental is the use of industrial waste. These would include spent acids, such as phosphoric or sulfuric acid that were first used in industry and then used to make fertilizers. Not all fertilizer companies do this, but many do. The raw materials are cheaper than the clean products because the industry has already used them. From their industrial use, these products have picked up any number of heavy metals like lead, cadmium, or aluminum. And guys, I'm going to take a side trip here. I want to refresh. I didn't talk about aluminum because it's not a plant essential nutrient, but it is a contaminant. It's a huge contaminant in the soil, and it ties up phosphorus. It ties up a lot of things. That's why we won't ship our fertilizer in an aluminum trailer. It has to go in a stainless steel or in poly. It talks about the fact that the intake of whole molecules by plants is a principle of science that is no longer under dispute. Another possible product from industrial waste producing lime from processing plants such as paper or pulp mills, and this type of lime will be loaded with metals, but is more often full of resins or toxic chemical complexes. Guys, when you're looking at a problem and they tell you that it is free, that is a red flag. And I need you to think long and hard about why is it so cheap? Why are they giving it away? Or why is it very, very inexpensive? in order to get us to use it. And a couple more thoughts here out of this particular book. Guys, this book is just loaded with things as he, he studied all the different things that happened. And one of them talking about the fact that the reason that potash will eliminate the symptoms when we're low in molly is the fact that it will mask it because it will convert the potassium nitrate, which will then move into the plant. The potassium nitrate carries a great deal of water and carbon dioxide, and that's what actually corrects the symptoms. Again, there's ways to, to hide these things and to make sure that we get there. Another masking we can do, a magnesium deficiency, will cause your strips along the veins and often make a purplish color on the bottom side of the leaf. Loosely speaking, it is a magnesium deficiency. Technically speaking, it is a nitrogen toxicity, and magnesium is the antidote for pulling the nitrogen out by forming magnesium nitrate that is then flushed out of the plant. So sometimes we make something disappear after a nutrient fix, but actually the cause behind it remains. What does that mean? That means that if we're putting on too much nitrogen, we run the risk of needing to put on extra magnesium just to offset what we did there in that process of over applying in. Guys, if there's ever a time I've been more convinced that over application of NP and K is not the way to go, I don't think so. It's today. I've never been more convinced of that because I believe over and over and over again that doing the right thing always results in the right response. And we need to push ourselves to study and to learn in order to get these right things done. A zinc application per se does not improve the quality of the crop. The supposed zinc deficiency symptoms are actually nitrogen deficiency caused by a phosphate deficiency. Here we are, guys. I'm saying these things to show how everything interacts, how we have to, to come back and just do all of the right things because sometimes we use zinc to hide a nitrogen deficiency, which was caused by a phosphate deficiency because we didn't have enough phosphorus in the plant. And we know that phosphorus and nitrogen go in together. We also know that too much nitrogen will go in at the expense of phosphorus and we want to make sure that we're doing it. And the note that I wrote here on the side, guys, is tissue test. Tissue test, tissue test, tissue test. Why? Because then we can let the plant, the plant don't lie. The plant will not lie to us. We just need to carry on and do the right things here. And when that plant tells us what we need, then we can go out and we can take a look at that. I got these out of order coming out of hands-on agronomy, and I want to start kind of towards the back. 
on one particular page here that I felt was super uh, important. I wanted to share this with you again. Guys, I didn't spend a lot of time this year on CEC or cation exchange capacity. In years past, I have done that. We try to do different things to bring different information, but the, the synopsis is, is that cation exchange capacity is the ability of the soil to hang on to nutrients. How much nutrient can it hold on to? The bigger the number, the more it can hang on to. And this was a young man who'd went to work for Neil, and I'm just going to share his story. He said, look, Neil, I've worked for you for a couple of years, and it took me about 18 months to get my head straightened out. What you were teaching me wasn't matching up with what I was taught in school. I had to start seeing examples and watching and looking at the soils to learn what you, how what you said applied. If someone had said you need to know about CEC and base saturation, I would have replied, I already know that. Our textbook had a section on CEC and it had a section on base saturation, but it didn't tell us how to use either one. The problem was the professors didn't understand how to teach us to use it either. I never really learned how to use the CEC and the base saturation till I started to work with you. Guys, these things are important. This is our business. This is what we have to learn. This is what we have to know in order for us to go about our business and be successful. Knowledge is power if it's applied. If it's applied. You know, I, I, I share the story. I had a, a grower... This father-son, they were planting about 185,000. They did tests. They did everywhere from 90 up to 185. When the results came in, he called me. The boy called me and said, hey, man, we ran the test. And the number one yielder, not the number one moneymaker, number one yielder, which was the number one moneymaker, was 125,000. It yielded more than anything else. And I said, that's fantastic. What, what's your dad thinking he'll do next year? And he said, well, dad's decided to go from 185 down to 165. Guys, if you have the knowledge... <laughs> If you have the knowledge, my opinion is you need to act on it. You run the test on your own farm, you get the information, and you choose not to follow it. It's, that makes me scratch my head. But knowing these CECs and the, and the base saturations and what they mean and how they impact everything, we know that when that mag level gets up above 18%, we start getting tight soil. I looked at some tests yesterday, had a 28% base saturation on magnesium. We know we got some work to do there. We know we're going to need extra sulfur. We know we're going to make sure and it needed lime to boot what does that mean it means he's looking for calcitic lime lime high in calcium very low in magnesium and he already knows he's going to have to haul it 40 miles because probably your local quarry does not have the lime that you need it's got the same stuff that you've already got too much of an excess of magnesium as well as nitrogen in the soil initiates the process which will prevent the crop from growing dry and nutritionally ripe which is the major goal of every farmer. Now understand something, we want it to stay green, okay? But we've also got to make sure that it gets physiologically mature. We want it to ripen. And so this individual, we could be hiding. Now, what we could do, make sure that we don't overuse magnesium and make sure that we don't overuse nitrogen because if we do those, now we're trying to find ethylene to put on to speed up the ripening process. Let's just do the right thing. There's no reason to buy ethylene. There's no reason to find ethylene suppressant, I don't believe. I believe we just need to do the right thing, and it'll take care of itself. As we work on our way on back through here, on page 192, I don't know if you've ever seen Mulder's Ball. It's the graph here. It just shows how all the different nutrients, which ones interact with others. And he talks about the fact that, keep in mind, if you have a manganese or a copper deficiency, you're going to get lodging even though you have adequate K. Potassium is first in stock strength but you have to have enough copper and you have to have enough manganese or you're not going to get that strength, that standability that you're looking for. 
And lastly, coming out of the book, and I wrote clothes right beside it. Zinc aids in the absorption of moisture along with potassium. Think of zinc as a critical moisture in critical moisture situations. It also helps transform carbohydrates. It plays a role in sugar. It plays a role in enzyme system functioning as well as, as the growth regulators that are normally present in the plant. So here we are, we got people buying auxins, we got people buying gibberellic acid, we got people buying cytokinins, and we have all of those. And they're good products, but not as a mask. They are the last thing you reach for. You do the foundations first, okay? You've gotta be able to have all of the nutrients in place, then you reach for those. We really wanna remember that zinc needs, especially in your sensitive crops like corn and grain sorghum, and also soybeans and dry beans, is very high. Guys, this has been an interesting journey for me. I've learned a lot of new things. I'm super excited about it, and I'm glad you went with us. I'm going to close with this. It's out of the Albrecht papers. You guys know that I'm a fan of his. I think the world would have been a better place if he had never retired. That's just my humble opinion. And I'm going to share a study with you. It's out of Volume 2, if you want to read it. It's Soil Fertility and Animal Health. You can purchase this on Amazon. I bought the entire set, but I'd already purchased number two first because I, I knew there was great value in it. But let me share with you, and I'm going to read you about a page and a half here, something like that page. But I want you to listen closely because I think this sums up what we've been doing and talking about. Not only in the failing protection of the body, but also in the reproduction as propagation of the plant and animal species should the importance of trace elements be appreciated and more intensely studied. Research done by a Missouri experiment station from 1946 to 1949 with dairy herds which were failing to conceive and failing to calf used extensive soil treatments with both major and trace elements on 330 acres to demonstrate the restoration of health and production by means of better animal nutrition. In other words, from the ground up, and I find that as a great phrase. The changes in the animal behaviors by this procedure alone were most encouraging through the basic approach of starting with the process as a natural one originating in the soil. In other words, not doing supplements, but actually putting it in the soil and getting better grain to feed. Pay attention, please. Before the soils had been treated, the herd had only six conceptions out of 47 matings of 24 cows. The first year after the soil treatments were applied, there were 37 conceptions, so we went up from 6 to 37, and 85 matings, those almost doubled, of 49 cows. Then the second year in the sequence, there were 63 conceptions by 63 cows. Guys, that means that all 100% conceived. During the three years, the percentages of conception were 25, 75, and 100 as a result of treating the soil. At the onset of these studies, the lowest semi-monthly milk per cow was 151 pounds. Three years later, that corresponding number was 306 pounds. So we more than doubled the milk production. The low vitality of the newborn calves exhibited itself. Before the soils were treated, they had 12 abortions and 11 calves too weak to survive out of 41 cows calving, or only 18, were only 18 calves from that number. Two years after the soil treatments, there were 58 normal strong calves and seven abortions from the 65 cows. They had 58 calves that they saved out of the, out of the second group, as opposed to only 18 out of the first group. This is interesting. At the beginning of the study, 29% of the herd was 79 cows total, had 23 of them, which is 29% of the breeding age were infected by brucellosis or Bangs disease. 
Three years later, with the herd kept intact, they did not separate. They did not sell them off. Only 20%, and they'd saved heifers, only 20% of the 98 cattle, breeding cattle, were reported as positive. And by the end of four years, there were 17 heifers from the herd that had both calves and mothers and offspring were negative to the brucellosis test. These facts tell us our explanations of the cause of a carrier and the associated microbes should be recognized as connected with the failing or the deficient nutrition that we consider the microbes as the cause of the disease. Guys, micronutrients impact microbes and it impacts it in us and it impacts us in our animals and it impacts us in our plants. And I just want to encourage you guys that this kind of stuff is out here. If you do a little work, if you do a little digging, if you find these things, you can look up ethylene and read on the internet. My computer's right there. I was reading on that a little bit earlier today. You can read till your eyes bleed. And there's all kinds of things about it. We've got to dig through it, figure out what it is that's going to work and how does it work. And then we always got to look at it and say, am I putting a Band-Aid on something that needs 22 stitches? because we gotta go after the root cause. And if we're just putting on Band-Aids, if we're buying ethylene to mask some problem that we have, if we're putting on extra phosphorus to mask something that we have, if we're applying zinc to mask the fact that we're putting on too much nitrogen and, and too much phosphorus, then let's just do the right thing. I want you to use zinc, but I want you to use it judiciously. I want you to use it because you need it. I want you to use it because your test said so. Please don't forget, guys. Remember that we're looking for a DTPA test. I talked to someone else about soil tests yesterday. Uh, actually, it was my friend Greg, and he was talking about some tests that he had looked at, and they had micronutrient levels that were let's just say not feasible because they would have been toxic if they were accurate. And so we've got to make sure that we're testing correctly. Guys, I hope this journey has been fun. I appreciate it. Uh, good Lord willing, I'll be back. I'll be wearing some different Christmas sweaters and some of the old ones, the ones I like the best. And I really hope that you guys have enjoyed this. If you've got questions, reach out to us. If you'd like someone to work with you, we would value that. We would love that opportunity. Someone from the team would be honored to try and talk you through and help you with this. Guys, it's fun to hang out. I look forward to meeting you somewhere down the road here. Let us know what we can do for you. You know how to get a hold of us. You can send us a text. You can send us an email. You can send a smoke signal. Thank you. I hope your holidays were blessed. I wish you a very prosperous 2024. And I will just close by saying I really do hope you have a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.